Hey, before we get on to this new episode, if you're looking to add more science-based tools to your teaching, I want to give you a two-week free trial of the VIP membership. Two weeks, 100% for free. You'll get access to a host of workshops, including ones on sciatica, total knee replacements, uh, tennis elbow, and so much more. Okay, In fact, you'll also get to join live workshops every single month, and I'll provide you research reviews, programming support, tons of Pilates classes, and a host of other resources to help you become the best instructor possible. Go ahead and start your two-week free trial with the link in the show notes, and if you decide it's not for you, no problem. You can cancel at no cost, and you'll just end up getting some free education along the way. But if you love it and you want to keep it, you can do so for as low as $1 per day. You have no risk, and by starting your free trial, you might just expose yourself to the best education of your career. With that said, let's get on to this new episode. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. Once again, we have an incredible episode in store for today because I have an awesome guest, Diane Bondi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam, for having me. Can I just say I'm a huge fan? I might be fangirling like just a little bit. Right back at you. We'll fangirl together and we're going to have an incredible time uh, we were chatting, everyone, we were chatting before the podcast. There was such a good conversation. I was like, oh, I should have hit record, but now I did. So we're going to have an episode. Um, with this, uh, Diane, for those that um, haven't met you or are unaware of the work that you do, um, what is your story? Uh, you know what? I have been in the yoga space for, I want to say, teaching professionally for the last 35 years. I know it's hard to believe that, <laughs> um, but I stand on my head a lot. So I've been teaching yoga professionally for the last uh, 35 years, both part-time and then full-time. And I've done personal training. I've done group fitness. I've done a lot of different modalities, but yoga has been my first love. And I came into the yoga space uh, with my mother when I was three years old. So I'm going to be 54 this year. I've been on my yoga mat for 51 years. And when I came into my 20s, when I was in college and university, I decided that I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into yoga and started taking my practice from the physical to more of the spiritual, uh, taking a lot of workshops. I completed uh, my very first 200 hour teacher training in 2006, but I had been professionally teaching yoga part-time way before that. So since probably about 1990, and I started teaching as a project and it just kind of was something that I loved. And then uh, in the late 1990s, maybe the early 2000s, I can't put exactly my finger on it, I started seeing these infomercials for um, Pilates with Mari Windsor and Daisy Fuentes, and they were doing all this really cool stuff. And when I noticed what they were demoing on the infomercial, I thought, wow, this aligns with quite a few of the poses that we do in yoga. And so I instantly became interested in it. I bought the videos, and then I decided to embark on one of my first 
Pilates trainings, which I believe was in 2001, I took a mat certification, um, you know, like a stunt mat certification. And I just wanted to be able to add Pilates and the principles of Pilates to my yoga experience. One of the things that I noticed in my yoga experience was there was not a lot of people that looked like me teaching yoga or being represented in yoga. And I really wanted to focus on changing that perspective. And when I came to the Pilates space, I was really intrigued. But what I found about Pilates teacher training is it was like super rigid. Like you could only do things this way and you could only breathe this way. And you could only move things this way. And this had to be happening and that had to be happening. And as a person who is neurodivergent, as a person who's in a much bigger body, I found myself like, ooh, this is a little bit too rigid for me. I like the idea of creativity. I want people to feel comfortable. And I have found in my experience of being both a fitness teacher or a yoga teacher and a fitness participant, when there are a lot of rules and people are almost to the point of like nitpicking, which is what I felt like just overcorrection, that people start to feel like they don't belong in the space. And people start to feel like, oh, I can't seem to get this right. And I'm constantly being corrected. So this isn't something I, I, I feel comfortable doing. I'm going to move on to a different modality. So I kind of was like, uh, I'm going to stick with yoga because I find with yoga, as long as you are practicing the eight limbs and the first two limbs being the yamas and niyamas, like the observances and, you know, the rules of yoga. And the very first one is ahimsa, do no harm. And as long as I'm teaching for that from that perspective, whether it's asana, postures on my mat, whether it's showing up in the world and being kind to one another, whether it's protecting the environment, you know, whether I'm facilitating a conversation around justice, whatever it is, if I'm aligning my conversation, my body, my practice with those principles with those tenants, then I'm doing yoga, whether I'm doing asana postures or not. But I found in the Pilates space that there's not that kind of connection and that there's an idea around the traditional interpretation of Pilates versus the contemporary interpretation of Pilates. And that these two sides are kind of at war with each other, which was really surprising to me. And that's why I decided, you know what, I don't need any more conflict. I don't need to make my participants feel any kind of way because, you know, they're not pointing their toes or they're not anchoring their tailbone, whatever it is that they're having trouble doing. I thought to myself, I thought as long as I was teaching with those six principles and I always forget one, we all, we all know, right? Breath, precision, core, blah, 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 which I would like to add that Joseph Pilates didn't create. But anyway, that's a conversation we'll get into. Um, that I didn't want my participants feeling like I was like hovering and nitpicking and constantly correcting them. I wanted them to have the joy of movement and to feel stronger and also be safe. Of course, Like I don't want to teach anything that's posturally unsafe. So I moved away from the Pilates space. I just taught a couple of mat classes. And then during the pandemic, when I was like bored, I took a bunch of certifications and I thought, it's been 20 years. I'm going to go back and take my MAT certification again. And the person I took my MAT certification from had just come back from a traditional Pilates teacher uh, training. And she had been teaching Pilates reformer, ladder barrel, chair for 15 years and had her own Pilates studio. And when I took contemporary training with her, I was like, oh, okay. Like, 
this is a lot less rigid. This has a lot more creative creativity. This is a lot of fun. I'm like, oh, maybe Pilates has changed from the first time I took my certification. Loved it and started teaching in her studio a, um, a mat class. And then uh, during the pandemic, I reached out to a friend of mine who is a Pilates teacher, and I started doing privates on Zoom with her for the better part of two years, because we were here in Canada, we were locked down pretty much for two years. So I started taking Pilates classes with her, and she's really like connected to the breath and connected to the alignment, but she was also incredibly creative and open-minded and engaging and all the things that I hadn't noticed before in my original training. And I thought to myself, huh, maybe Pilates has changed. Maybe this is something that I can be creative in and that I can gear to whoever is in front of me, even though they're not understanding all the principles, right? Or maybe if they can't do all the things. And so it kind of piqued my interest. Uh, I went on to take uh, a, a reformer training with a Stotts trained reformer teacher who is also a um, chiropractor, shout out to Dr. Sun. And she also had a really creative way because she's got a background in chiropractor. She's got a background in physiotherapy. So she was really interested in the way that we broke down reformer, uh, reformer moves. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then um, my friend went on to get a job. We got a club Pilates in town. She went on to get a job as a lead instructor. And she reached out to me and said, I want you to come and work for me. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm not ready. But one of the um, you know requirements was I had to take the club Pilates training because I only had reformer and mat training. I was already a, um, a certified TRX teacher. So I had a lot, I had a huge fitness background already. And so uh, we came to an understanding. I signed a contract with Club Pilates. I'm, you know, doing a, a period of time with them and they covered my training. And so we opened the Club Pilates here in uh, Tecumseh, Ontario, and I got to take this training. And my master trainer was also really open to we want people to feel like they belong. We want people to feel encouraged. Let's be creative. And I'm like, oh my God, Pilates has changed. I can add this. I can help people this way. I, can. I was so excited. And I said to my master trainer, wow, when I took my initial training, I left because it was just like, I was overwhelmed. Uh, you know, I'm neurodivergent. I didn't know at the time. And all these rules were like messing with my brain. And so I was just like, yeah, this isn't for me. And I really was worried that after I took my Pilates training, that I wasn't going to be a good teacher because I'm not, ugh, I'm not really good at following the rules when I think they're dumb. I know that's going to sound bad when I think they're too much. But if you've ever been to my Instagram, you know, I like to stir the pot a little bit. But I was just like, oh, they are going to allow us to see who's in the room and make this something that everybody can be a part of. And then the more I dove into the Pilates scene, the more I started to see the division between traditionalists and contemporary teachers. and there is a bit of that in yoga, but there are so many different styles of yoga that have branched out from the eight limbs that we understand as long as we are following those eight limbs, then we are teaching yoga and we tend to be less rigid about the postures. And that was the thing that had turned me off from being a Pilates teacher in the beginning with this rigidity and this like hierarchy and this snobbery. And I was just like, really? 
And I know people have their feelings about Club Pilates, but I really feel like Club Pilates has democratized Pilates for the most part. You now can go and take a class with a group of people. And if you love it and you want to pursue it from the traditional perspective, you can go ahead and do that because if that's what you prefer, and you, you wrote that in a post, or you can move and do a contemporary perspective. And the way I found you was that you made a post like when I was in the middle of training or when I was thinking about training that really inspired me that said, more rules means less movement. I'm like, oh my God, okay. I'm not the only one who thinks da 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 da, right? And so I was all over your page after that. So when you invited me to be on the podcast, I, I literally peed my pants. I'm maybe a little bit fanboys. Sorry for creating that reaction, but I'm glad it was exciting and and what an incredible introduction. And thank you for sharing your um your background and your movement practice and, and your experience in the Pilates industry, which is really like what brought about this conversation, which is just kind of uh, acknowledging the experience of a division in the Pilates industry and really trying to inspire any listener who has also been there to leave the conversation feeling a little bit more accepted in the Pilates industry. And one of those that you spoke specifically about um, were like club Pilates instructors as sometimes that, that company has been uh, rejected from certain uh, camps in the Pilates industry. And I can tell um, any listener that you, if you're a club Pilates instructor, you're a club, you're a Pilates instructor, just like anyone else. Um, I've been a club Pilates instructor. I was an instructor for six years and a master trainer, and I'm doing quite well in the Pilates industry. And I imagine you are as well. If you ever need to feel accepted, evidence-based Pilates community is um, a place for you. Um, and then one thing, because the one like offshoot of like the division of the Pilates industry is gatekeeping. And like one example that, of what you're mentioning, uh, Diane, with gatekeeping is like, um, so uh, sometimes it's like if you're not trained in a piece of equipment, you are determined to not qualify to teach on that equipment, which mm -hmm. is extremely weird. Mm -hmm. uh, to me. And I think that uh, like, that's an aspect of gatekeeping, which is a whole training thing. It's because we teach, we, you learn choreography, you don't learn exercise principles, which right. is the problem. But if you understand exercise principles, you can figure out any apparatus. Absolutely. So for example, like I'm a huge advocate, like you do not need a certificate on the Wonder chair to teach the Wonder chair. Okay. You should probably act, you should exercise on it and like know stuff and understand yes. it before you teach on it. But that's why like I'm creating right now, I'm in the process of creating one to chair and Cadillac content on the VIP membership, just so people can see it. And so yes. you can teach it and you don't have to spend $3,000 on a course. That's um, the other thing, very inaccessible. Save your money, it's a waste. But sometimes you need a credential for whatever reason, I'm not bashing them, but I also feel like that's a, that's an aspect of gatekeeping. Of mm. like you have to take this continuing education, you have to take this extra certificate to teach mm -hmm. on this apparatus. Mm -hmm. Like no one gets certified on a treadmill, right? Like no one does that. You just sure. figure out how it works and the strategies you can use. You can go to the side, you can backward walk, you can do all kinds of things. But if you mm -hmm. understand principles, you can figure it out. Right. Now, in terms of gatekeeping, uh, Diane, like what has your experience been like with some of the gatekeeping that is present in the Pilates industry? Yeah, I find it really interesting. One, what you're saying, if, if you don't have like the specific 30 hour course for um, 
you know, wonder chair, I think balance ball aid calls it exo chair, whatever it is. And then you can't touch that piece of equipment and being a personal trainer, being a yoga teacher, being an athlete and knowing the principles of what is safe and what isn't safe. And we spend all that time in our primary Pilates training courses, telling us what's uh, contraindicated in the, um, club Pilates sphere, they give you an independent project where they list out some of these things that you have to figure out. How would you put together a class for someone with spinal stenosis? What would you do with somebody who has a rotator cuff injury? I'm grateful that I have additional training other places because it made it able for me to break down these postures. Um, well, you call them exercises. Again, my yoga speak here. I found that I don't like this idea that if you are teaching contemporary Pilates, you're not really teaching Pilates. And, you know, Joseph Pilates didn't intend for blah, 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 blah. How do you know what Joseph Pilates did or didn't intend for? A lot of you weren't even uh, born when he was alive. All right. So we do have his book, Controlology. We do have his writings. We do have his master teachers to tell us a lot of things. But also his master teachers have added to the Pilates space have added equipment, have added their knowledge of being dancers and physiotherapists and personal trainers and just people living in a human body moving through the world. And we learn a lot of things experientially. And when I put together, for those of you who don't know, I have two books published by um, Penguin Random House, one called Yoga for Everyone, which I think I lent out and I can't buy, and another one I co-authored called Yoga Where You Are. And I spent the bulk of my life in an ever-shifting size body, for whatever reasons, breaking down asana based on principles of movement so that bigger body people can get into the posture and practice, people with disabilities, limb differences, paralysis, whatever it is, could practice asana. And it's not based in this idea that there's only one way to do something. And I've come to the understanding in my own life of being on the planet for 53 years, things that don't grow die. And people who can't change their mind are either stupid or dead. So you know what I mean? Like you want to be able to be open to all kinds of exercise modalities. And the more that we know about the human body, the better we are at serving the public. Because at the end of the day, it is my job as a Pilates instructor or a yoga teacher is to help you find your goals in your best life. And by gatekeeping and saying, well, you're a Pilates teacher because you train with this person. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think stocks is a money grab. Okay. So, you know, I think a lot of this branded stuff is a money grab. And I believe that about the yoga space as well. You can't tell me that Ashtanga yoga is the most traditional kind of yoga. And if people aren't counting the breaths in their yoga practice and they're not really practicing yoga, bullshit. There were three people that sat at the feet of Krishnamacharya, Mr. Iyengar. There's more than three people. I'm only going to name three. Patabi Choice, Indira Devi, like all of those people sat at the, at the, at the grand, at the feet of the grandfather and each of them taught three different kinds of yoga, like completely different from each other. And guess what? It's still yoga. Mr. Iyengar taught restorative yoga. We have blocks and straps and all that stuff from his interpretations of the teachings of Krishnamacharya. Patabi Joyce, who's uh, 
grandson, I think is Sharat, who teaches now, and I mean the Ashtanga world is fraught. He sat at the same fit of that same teacher, and it's nowhere close to what Mr. Iyengar teaches, right? And teachers who have come since, who've studied from these different um, modalities, have changed how they teach based on humanity. Let's be honest, when Mr. Pilates first decided to create Pilates, which was controlology, he believed that your spine should be straight, right? He didn't believe in the cervical spine and the, you know, and the um, lumbar spine. So that in of itself has changed in the way that we teach. So to say that because you're sticking to these 20 exercises or 30 exercises for this many repetitions on this piece of equipment is the only way that you can teach Pilates, I think really limits people's understanding of exercise physiology, limits people's understanding of how to move in their body, and is the ultimate in gatekeeping if you get to decide based on your lived experience and your interpretation of what Mr. Pilates was teaching, that you get to decide who's in and who's out. There is room for both. It is never either or. It's never either or. It's always and. Nothing is an absolute. And I don't like that like black and white binary thinking. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't exist in the world anywhere than to keep people out and to decide who's at the top of the food chain and who's at the bottom. And that's just my arrogant opinion. <laughs> no, no, thank you for, for laying it down. And I really appreciate you sharing your perspective in other industries, meaning the yoga industry, and then tying that into an experience as a Pilates instructor as well, as it's really valuable. And, and there's a lot in here. There's uh, like, who would have thought like client-centered care and cognitive agility was so controversial? Uh, it's so weird. I just have like many, I have experience in many other um, modalities and, it, and just bringing it to Pilates, it is kind of weird. Um, and then um, I think at the root of this, there, there's like, there's this need of like ex us being authentic requires an abstract ideology of Joseph Pilates' approval, which is rooted in monotheism. And for me, I'm just like, I have like no, like I, have, I, I personally don't hold any value um, in that. And that's not meant as disrespect. It's just meant that I have value in um, helping my clients in yeah. the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And that that um, the original repertoire is awesome. I use it all the time, but I also have no problem, um, you know, stepping away from it and adding something else. And, and with this, what I've realized or what I've recognized is usually like we like things that are familiar. Yeah, right? we like things that are familiar. Yes. And when we don't know the answer on our own, which is fine, no one knows all the answers. And we've heard it from someone else we will often will often just repeat what we heard. Yes. So at a time I'll use myself as an example, there was a time and place where my only exposure to Pilates was club Pilates, not club Pilates, classical Pilates. So my only exposure was classical Pilates. Um, it was, you know, it was, I was taught that it was dangerous to teach more than four people because like, that's how many reformers they had. Weird, right? Mm. Um, you know, it's you know, it taught all kinds of things, but most importantly, that anything outside of classical Pilates is not real Pilates. And so I, I believe that I didn't really understand that, but I repeated it and I would really believe in it. And I, and I felt it to my core. And, and so I, with that, if I didn't expose myself elsewhere, I probably would still feel that way. 
But what was really helpful was exposure to other trains of thought. And for me, that was my, I was a very expensive path of exercise science and physical therapy, but then also other Pilates trainings. And there's so many ways to win um, in this. And I think it's important that you can still be a Pilates instructor without someone else's, someone else saying that you do or don't have permission from Joseph Pilates because Pilates, like Joseph Pilates created Contrology and everything you see is um, not called Pilates is Contrology inspired. Yeah. Like it is. It is. Like, for example, the series of five is not Contrology, mm-hmm. right? And that's just like Pilates to its core, like, excuse mm-hmm. or pun intended, right? Pilates, mm-hmm. Pilates to its core. And, and like, so the single straight leg stretch, double straight leg stretch, crisscross, they're not in return to life. And that's okay, right? It's not a freaking Bible. It's exercise. It's not a religion. And right. so, and so, but with that, there's, I mean this in the sense of just like cracking the egg open and saying like, hey, like, mm-hmm. like you, like both, do them both. Yeah. <laughs> do, do the classical, do the contemporary. And, yeah. and last time I was in like a Pilates circle in a studio I tried to work out, didn't work out. Um, you know, I was asked the question, like, are you classical or contemporary as if those were the only options? So my mm-hmm. rebellious ass was like, I don't like either of them. Like, like, I don't like the, I don't like either of them. I like, I think there's flaws in any, in any one of those. And so I'm an evidence-based instructor and they were like, ah, what does that right? mean? Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, it means that I teach movement. I'm informed by Pilates, but I'm also informed by current research. Yes. And, and it was, it was this foreign concept, which is okay. Right. Yes. And so I'm on a mission to make that like not a foreign concept because I think any any side you choose, you're just choosing that version's limitations. And so both, like uh-huh. both, both, both. Yeah. Do classical, do contemporary, um, all of the things. But within this, like if you were just for like the listener that's like, okay, planting the seed, but I need more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so helpful to hear different words of same topics. Like if you were confronted, Diane, by the Pilates police, and they were <laughs> like, let me see your badge. Does it say Romana or something? Um, and it doesn't. It, like, like it says like your history of like Pilates and style, which I've had experience in both, right? Good things and then limitations in both. Um, what would you like, like, what is your experience like with the Pilates, um, police and how would you handle that today? I'm a bit of a rebel. I don't know if you've noticed, I just kind of speak my mind and I deal with the consequences later. That's how I kind of show up in the world. And I have had a huge conversation with somebody who is, uh, classically trained and wanted to explain to me why. Um, being classically trained is the better option. So we went back and forth over DMs for a couple of days. And it was really quite interesting that need to hold true to one style. So we went back and forth. And um, this Pilates teacher had at one point, I don't know if they were a yoga teacher or if they had just only practice yoga and was using the um, Ashtanga as the ruler for measuring all other kinds of yoga. And I don't know if they just didn't know my background, but began to explain to me why 
you know, Ashtanga yoga is the true yoga or whatever it is. And unfortunately, um, or fortunately, more than Padavi Joyce was trained by Krishnamacharya. You know, there were other people out there who once again branched off and created other types of yoga based on their experience with Krishnamacharya. So, you know, when we started going back and forth about their belief system, perhaps that Ashtanga is okay. And then they were like, you know, I'm not against contemporary Pilates. I think when people take the classical stuff and then, you know, branch into other things, then I think people have done really incredible things, but the classical um, practice is, is the real practice. And we really need to honor that and all that kind of stuff. And for people who are the Pilates police, I kind of feel like you do you, I'll do me. Um, you know, I can respect that classical Pilates is where your heart and soul is the same way I can respect somebody who's an Ashtanga practitioner only likes Ashtanga. But I don't find in the yoga space that the Ashtanga practitioner, some of them will, are bashing every other kind. Because for each person that's in the world, there is their comfort level. It's what they need. And I feel as Pilates instructors, teachers, movement coaches, personal trainers, whatever it is, the more information we have to help students, the better. And for people who are thinking they know what Joseph Pilates would want, and they know who he would accept and who he wouldn't, that's cult thinking. That is cult thinking. This man has been dead for how long? right? So many people and so many master trainers have created a lot of information and movement based on the principles that he created, based on the experiences that they had, based on the injuries that they have um, endured. And this particular teacher also said to me, there's this idea that traditional Pilates is really rigid. And if people would just be open to trying it, they would see it's not really rigid. And then I'm thinking to myself, you're saying this to me now, but you're being really rigid that there's only one way to teach Pilates. And I'm just, we're just going back and forth. I'm interested in hearing their perspective and I want to honor their perspective. But at one point I just started to agree with them because there was no, there was no opening their mind to the idea that all things, all forms of movement that respect the principles of Pilates that are inspired by Pilates is a form of Pilates. And so when I run into the Pilates police, I just think to myself, these are people who maybe only teach one kind of body, or these are people who are really dialed into a singular way of thinking. And if they're thinking this way over an exercise modality, how else are they singularly focused or in an echo chamber in the world? And maybe those aren't people that I have anything in common with, and I don't care, basically. The Pilates police can come for me. I don't care. I don't care. Where I work at Club Pilates, I am. I create a space where people feel, feel empowered when they leave. You know, at the end of the year, the amount of people that wrote me cards and letters and gave me gifts and said, you changed my life. And I say to them, I didn't change your life. The principles of Pilates, teaching, moving your body, showing up, having a good time um, is what, you know, changed your life. And in my small town, the people who showed up at the Pilates studio, a lot of them had never done any kind of exercise. These people were deeply deconditioned. 
you know, not even walking their dog. So they're coming to a space where they've had no movement for 10, 20 years. And they're stepping on this, you know, $10,000 piece of equipment. And the first couple of weeks that I was teaching at Club Pilates, I would come home and literally cry because you have like 12 reformers and you have people who are lost. And I remember saying to my boss, I'm like, I don't know. And then to watch people progress and learn and become curious and recover from injuries. There's a woman in our Pilates space who had like, I think she had eight screws in her back from a traumatic um, incident. And she came in the last day before we breaked for the holiday and said, since I've been here since August, my life has changed. And I have this necklace that has two screws on it. I got to have two screws taken out of my spine due to strengthening my body due to this. I'm forever changed. Like I think in our uh, member of the month, she's going to be the member of the month next month. And she bought everybody a bottle of Prosecco and she's entirely grateful. The amount of people who say you've changed my life in this space. That is why I'm doing it. I give two shits about what the police want to come for me for. These people are living a better life and their better life is inspired by controlology, inspired by the movements that we do together in community, inspired by learning about their bodies. Just because it's not traditional, in my opinion, and of course you can take it for what it's worth. I've been a reformer teacher for all of, I don't know, eight months. Um, but a professional yoga teacher for 35 years, personal trainer, all that stuff. Take it for what it's worth. I think we need to serve the people that are in front of us. And for some people, traditional Pilates is going to be their go-to. And for others, a contemporary evidence-based Pilates is going to be something that makes more sense for them. And if we can't have the empathy and if we can't have the wisdom to know the difference, why are we doing this? What's the point? I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five-star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. Yeah. That's um, client-centered care, which is, uh, there was a systematic review by Ivan Lin called the 11 Common Recommendations for Musculoskeletal Pain, a systematic review of systematic reviews. And uh, so it had 11 common recommendations for people in pain. And number one was client-centered or person-centered care. They may call it patient-centered care, whatever the human is. Um, so with that, it's like, wow. Who would have thought client-centered care? So it's controversial because at the end of the day, it is about like, like your client's experience is what matters at the end of the day. Um, I will hang my hat um, on that, help people. And so that's part of this podcast is helping you, the listener of if you have had this experience, you don't know what to do with it. I hope this is helping. And something that I will say is that the rigidity goes both ways and or the lack of acceptance goes both ways. Um, I know a classical gets a rap for that. I do feel like it's earned through certain folks, but yeah. same, but I've also experienced that in other forms. I've worked with someone who was a stop Pilates instructor and she wouldn't do anything other than stop. Like she wouldn't study with anyone else. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be in stats. Great. Like I learned great stuff um, from there. And, but I also, there are also limitations where I won't go back, um, which is fine. 
Um, but at the root of this, there's like what people often can confuse what Pilates is with, um, like, are they, they confuse what they know of Pilates with what Pilates is. It's right. what Pilates is to you. Right. And mm -hmm. so that's the importance of stepping outside of yourself and recognizing your own cognitive limitations as a human, which isn't a fault as a human, it's a trait of a human. Right. And so it, that's where it's staying cognitively agile, meaning being able to look at different perspectives, being able to grow and yes. learn. And learning is a shedding process. You let go of some old stuff, you welcome new stuff. Hopefully the new stuff is better than the old stuff. That's called progress. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, like, like the real Pilates claims is really a claim of superiority, which sometimes comes from claim, like, like a, like a reality of insecurity, not always, but it's this thing of like, this is the real Pilates and, and at your experience of like someone telling you about their experience of Pilates, claiming that that's real Pilates and saying like, well, I'm not rigid. You just don't understand because you don't agree with me. So you need to do the things that I do and then you'll agree with me. Right. Which is, it's, it's always funny when people say I'm not insert the word and then they provide you the definition of the word where it's like, um, actually that's exactly, um, what this is, but I, but I do believe in just good intent and people do have good intent. And I would encourage people to play with every, uh, every crayon in the crayon box and you yes. find something that you love, like even at Stott, which I found to be like a robotic version of movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I learned like, shit, I can add a spring. These springs are awesome. I own Stott equipment. All my equipment's Stott. I love it. Right. Mm. It's heavy stuff. Um, yeah, shout out to John it. Gary, by the way, he introduced me to it. John's a legend. Oh um, yeah. I'm yeah. obsessed with John Gary. Obsessed. <laughs> yeah. He's awesome. I'm a member of his community. Um, me too. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, and also let that be, uh, that's just, this is a sidebar. Just because you have a like a Pilates studio or because you teach Pilates somewhere doesn't mean you can't support other Pilates instructors. Oh, yeah. I have a continuing education company. Um, mm. Other companies are not a threat to me. They're a place that I learn from and grow from. I'm a member of uh, John uh, John Gary's. I'm a member of Physiotherapy, the Better Clinician Project, other things that help people. So keep learning and keep supporting other people in this space. With that, that was a sidebar. The this whole conversation kind of begs that laborious question of like what real Pilates is. And I think it's really mm -hmm. helpful for people to hear um, other instructors um, mm -hmm. definitions of that. Mm -hmm. And to you, like, what is real Pilates to you, Diane? To me, to me, that connection to your core in a way, and that connection to your spine in a way that is going to make your life easier for me, right? It's an exercise modality. I have my yoga practice, which is a movement practice, but it's a spiritual modality for me. Pilates fills that void where I can really learn all the places in my body that I need to connect with and get stronger with. And I also find that my Pilates training and practice informs my yoga practice. It makes my physical asana practice stronger. It allows me to switch between yogic breath, whether that's <laughs> ISO has always got these weird things going on. It helps me um, connect with my body in a way that's much different 
than the yoga practice. Like in the yoga practice, I come to my breath, I move my body in a pain-free range of motion. To be honest, I just focus on my breath and I pretty much zone out and move. I can hear the teacher speaking or I'm doing my own personal practice, but I'm completely pretty much zoned out. You know, I'm noticing sensation. I'm making sure I'm working with that sensation in a positive way. Whereas in my Pilates practice, I'm a lot more connected to my body. I'm noticing what my spine is doing. I'm noticing what my core feels like. I'm noticing when I breathe out with my Pilates breath, how that is so different. And the intention is so different than when I'm breathing with my yoga practice. And those two together marry that. My Pilates practice is about me feeling stronger and standing taller and a really big physical connection to a body that I've spent most of the time hating because it doesn't necessarily conform to a social standard that's acceptable, even though I work out all the time, even though I eat, well, the majority of time. So it's not an absolute one thing. And to your point around Stotts training versus balanced bodies training versus independent studio training, the more I know, the better. The more I educate myself, the better. And I got caught in the trap in yoga of only following one kind of yoga. So if you meet like an Iyengar teacher who's really dedicated to the practice of Iyengar, they may think other styles of yoga aren't real yoga. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about focusing on what you said, client, student, participant-centered care. So for me, it's about connecting with my body, my core, and my breath that allows me to, you know, stand taller in the world, feel stronger. It's one of the main, it's one of a myriad of strength practices I do. I don't only practice Pilates. I also do strength training. I also go to dance class. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but I got a spin bike. I got a reformer. I got a yoga mat. I got a springboard. I got everything in here. And I was just talking before I got on this podcast, I had a session with my personal trainer and I, I said, every few years, I reevaluate my movement practices and I see where I'm lacking in certain places and I decide to try something new. And I cannot get stuck in one modality. I've already done that. I, be, I belong to the Anasara community, which is very specific and very um, rigid in a lot of ways, even though they'll tell you that they're heart-centered and they're not, but they're, it was really rigid. And it felt really confining and it felt like my creativity or my sense of self was being limited. It really felt like I couldn't be myself because I had to follow these really specific rules. And I've been on the planet for half a century and I'm tired of not feeling like I can just be 100% authentically myself. And so I'm not going to follow any kind of modality that's going to limit my creativity and make me feel some kind of way about my body because my tabletop isn't 100% perfect because, you know, these things don't automatically work in my body. Those days are really over for me. And I want people to not look at their bodies as something that they constantly have to be fixing. I want them to celebrate the strengths and the gains that they make in their body in whatever mo modality that they choose. And I think that sometimes when we have branded things, 
um, that we set as the standard for all of us. I said before that I, I feel like stocks can be a cash grab because it's a branded thing. It's a branded club. If I'm not teaching stock Pilates, I'm not teaching Pilates. Stocks a company like anybody else. They've created a product like anybody else balanced body, whatever. I also have a reformer. My reformer is an online reformer, the number one selling reformer in Europe. So they are a direct competitor to Stotts. They're also putting out content that's really great as well. Like you said, it's important for us to look at everything. It's important for us to use all the crayons in the, uh, in the, um, in the box. And one of um, the yoga teachers that I follow, um, Jessica Char, who is Krishnamacharya's um, uh, ancestor, who is uh, who recently passed away in the last 10 years anyway. Um, one of the tenets of his teachings was to meet your students where they are. Meet your students where they are. And that's the philosophy in which I come to any kind of movement practices. I would add to that, but let's not leave them there. If we can improve their range of motion, their movement, their connection to their body by adding in other ways for them to connect with their body that might not align with that classical interpretation, then who are we serving if we're not going to offer them something to help connect with their body? So Pilates to me is a, a deep connection to my core, a deep connection to the truth and creating a space where people can live and grow and move in a way that makes them feel good. Beautifully said. And I love how you speak to like your, like how it helps with your, your confidence. Like you feel like you're walking taller and things of that nature. Who doesn't love that? Um, and also how it's synergistic to other movement uh, practices, which is really what it all should be. Um, movement practice, practices should be synergistic to improve your movement yeah. um, in general, right? Cause it's really about the things that you do when you're not doing the movement practice to see if it's really helpful. Um, and what's, what's important with like education, right? Or, or I'm just going to throw my bias out there with education is, um, I hired, like the best thing I ever did was, um, study things that were not Pilates. Yeah. And then, and then that just, because anytime you learn more Pilates, you're learning movement from a Pilates bias. So you're just going to get a lot of confirmation bias in terms of uh, Pilates industry beliefs uh, for better or for worse. And I think we should have a certain amount of Pilates education. Like if you don't know where the, what the hundred is, like I think you should go to Pilates school, right? And then like that's going to help out. Yeah. But then a lot of times I guess Pilates instructors, we're like, you, you do more education to grow and to increase your knowledge, your skills, and hopefully your profit. And so with that, you should then you should take education in things that fill a void, right? And so if you don't know like what a hamstring is, it's <laughs> fine, right? Totally. I've been there and right? I think it bends the knee. Then like an anatomy course could be helpful and you don't have to take it from a Pilates. Like Pilates anatomy is just anatomy. Like there's nothing different. Like it's, it's anatomy is static. Anatomy doesn't talk about movement, by the way. So anyone right. talking about movement with anatomy is not it's anatomy plus biomechanics. Um, so, you know, just things of that nature. And the best thing I ever did was study outside of Pilates because then you learn just, you just learn movement. Mm -hmm. And when you learn movement, then you can zoom out like 10,000 foot view and you realize you don't have to take a one to chair course. It's a scam. And so you, you, you can just know that the pedal goes up. 
That's like literally what it does. It goes, I know it's on a curvy linear curve, right? I get it. It's an arc, right? So it goes up and then towards the chair and down and away from the chair. And then if you understand that, ooh, more spring equals more up. That's what it means. So if you have a hard time going up, get more springs. Yes, maybe learn, well, yes, totally learn exercises on it. But yes. if you just learn movement in general, uh, I think it, it'll go a long way. And that's where it's like a good place to start in my mind would be like, just follow like well-known movement optimists, like physiotherapists or physical therapists, um, you know, on like Instagram or whatever social that you're on. That's a really good place to start. Cause then you'll just start to, you'll, you'll visually see movement. Like as you're scrolling through your cat videos and your bodies, right? Then it's like, oh, here's this weird thing you can do with the ankle. Or you'll see movements that you were told were bad in Pilates mm. school. But now there's like freaking Adam Meekins, you know, well, like world renowned physical therapists doing it. And it starts to, it plants a seed in your mind of like, whoa, Wait that conflict. And then you can water that and you can grow and, and you can do that for free too. Um, so meaning that Instagram is free, but yeah. and YouTube and all kinds of great stuff to your point there. Um, I've been talking to my Pilates classes and my fitness classes and my yoga classes about this concept of exercising with your knee, not coming past your ankle. Do you remember when we were all doing that? Like your knee can't be past your ankle. And then I would ask them a question like where in your everyday life? Would your knee come past your ankle and you would load that joint in order to move through the world? And I wait. And then I say to them, did anybody take the stairs today? So are we training for that movement? Because we have to, you know, step up on steps, climb up stairs and things like that. So that was an idea from years ago that has kind of led us to limited ankle mobility, you know, problems with our back because we're not training our knees, knee injuries, like that, and that goes to your point of like, let's look at everything and let's take different kinds of exercise. And that is what I came to the yoga practice with, with my own physical background, um, having parents who were athletes, having grandparents who were athletes, learning from my own body. When I created new yoga, new ways to do yoga poses, I didn't have Krishnamacharya drop down from heaven and go, hmm. That's not what I meant when I meant yoga, because at the end of the day, you meet your students where you are. So I, I like you, I encourage people to follow everybody, follow Stott's teachers, follow Balanced Bodies teachers, follow, you know, uh, traditional, traditionally trained Pilates teacher, follow contemporary, teacher, follow runners. I've been really interested in running and I've been following an exercise physiologist who teaches about running, like learn all the ways a body can move and then apply those principles to help your students move their bodies. Yeah, 100%. It's just a well-rounded education, which was my big inspiration to create the VIP membership. Like when I do research reviews and workshops, I tie it into Pilates so it's meaningful, um, but I don't present Pilates papers. Uh, they're usually really low quality. So it's just it's just learning learning about movement in the human body. And with my physical therapist hat on, 
um, if someone came in and they weren't able to bring their knee over their toes or they were afraid to, then you start looking at psychosocial factors, which can lead to other things. You start working on ankle mobility, knee mobility, and things like that. So it's actually a problem. Um, so at the end of the day, I think that's a really good example of like more rules equals less movement because now you literally, the rule is don't move as much. Um, and, and, and the net result of working as a Pilates instructor or in any movement instructor is that the person we're working with should experience more movement. Yay. So if we're limiting movement, I, I would question that, right? It's not necessarily wrong. You just need a really good reason to. Yeah. And we usually um, don't have really good reasons, right? And yeah. so, so it's, it's one of those, like, you know, always play in the gray, ask more questions. But with that, I, I am um, aware of our time, Diane. And if a listener were to take one thing from our time together, what would that be? I talked about this a lot on my Instagram over the past few days as we're like starting the new year and everybody's like new year, new me garbage, or, um, I'm going to start getting back to the gym. Do something that you love. Do a movement practice that makes your life better, whatever that is. Maybe it's Pilates. Maybe it's running. Maybe it's yoga. Maybe for God's sakes here where I live, pickleball is like huge, like whatever it is that will give you more movement in your life. To quote my, my one of my first Pilates teachers, motion is lotion. And to quote the Pilates, Club Pilates motto, movement is life. And those things are not mutually exclusive. So let's just move our bodies. And if you love traditional Pilates, I love that for you. Go ahead and take those classes, but also take contemporary classes. Also, you know, go to the gym if that's something you love. And if you don't love going to the gym, take a dance class, but let's just move our bodies. To quote you, like you, like we've said throughout this whole po podcast, more rules means less movement. I want more movement, less rules. Absolutely. Right. Just keep moving, like keep moving our, ourselves and also um, have that be a trickle down effect to our clients and any listener to this podcast. I just want you to know that you do have a home and a place in the uh, Pilates industry. You can reach out to myself or Diane anytime um, in the show notes. And of course, you are welcome in the evidence based Pilates community anytime. Um, Diane, for those that would like to uh, know more about you, get in contact with you and your work, um, how can they get a hold of you? I have a website. It's Diane Bondi Yoga, two N's in Diane, because I'm extra like that. And my mother knew about it. Uh, you can find me there. I also have my own app in the app store called Yoga for Everyone, where I really create classes that are for everyone. So you can find me there. I am most active on Instagram and TikTok. I don't spend a whole lot of time on Facebook and I'm certainly not on Twitter, but you can also catch me on threads as well. So you can reach out to me on any of my social media channels where I am Diane Bondi Yoga Official. And I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm open to any and all opinions, no abuse, but any or all opinions. I'm interested to hear about people's lived experiences, education, I want to learn from everybody. And I think having a narrow perspective of the world and having a narrow perspective of anything leads to a closed mind. So, and I'm not interested in any of that. So it, yeah, come see me. Uh, my class at the gym is called Party Pilates. I know that's going to piss off a lot of people. I play fun music. 
we do the five, you know, we do that core five movements. I make sure those are in there, but we also do a bunch of other stuff. Well, that's awesome, uh, Diane. And it sounds like a cool party. I will come to a Pilates party um, anytime. And for those uh, listeners that didn't grab Diane's information, like maybe you're driving and you didn't want to stop the car and cause a four car pile up. I don't recommend doing that. Don't worry about it. All of her stuff is in the show notes. Uh, It is one click away. Make sure to follow her on Instagram. It's a really cool um, account and all socials, things of that nature. But um, with that said, have an incredible rest of your day. 